in university, I had a laissez-faire view of money. I used it how I wanted to. Now, I, I was never exorbitant with it in one way or another, but if I wanted to do something, I did it. I may have done a little bit less than my friends. I mean, if they bought three board games, I could buy one. Or if they went out and, and bought a bunch of drinks, I could buy a few. I used it to how I wanted to and to have fun for most of the time. But because I had this view, it also caused me a great deal of stress at other times. I remember one instance in particular where I went to go pay rent. And as I paid rent, it said that there was insufficient funds in my account. This didn't make sense because I should have had enough money in my account. I, I put a check in my account a couple days earlier. So I went to the bank to talk about this, and they told me because I had a new employer that, that the money wouldn't be actually processed for about a week. I remember on my walk home, I felt so much stress and anxiety, not knowing what to do, feeling so overwhelmed that I actually felt sick to my stomach. Now, thankfully, I was able to call my parents, and they were able to put some money in my account quickly because the banks were about to close, and, and I had to pay rent that day. But because I used my money however I wanted for most of the time, it caused me a great deal of stress in that moment. And there are other moments like it. You may have had some experience like this too in your life where money caused you a great deal of stress. Maybe it's not even an isolated experience. It's how you experience most days, never knowing how you're going to pay off the credit card or, or pay your rent, or, or it's just constantly on your mind. Or maybe you're somebody who's always yearning for something more, for the, for the newest car or the newest phone, and, and you have to think about money because of all the bills that you have to pay. Or maybe you're thinking, no, that's not me. I'm Mennonite, so I don't spend money that way. But maybe you think about money, and you think about, I need to save more. I need to have more in my investments or have more for my retirement or for more for a rainy day or, or pay for my kid's college or whatever that looks like. And money can be on your mind. And it can be on our minds often. Now, in a 2018 study, that, that money was the top cause of stress. It was more stressful to people than their work or more stressful than relationships. We all know that stress is not a good thing. It can cause health problems like, like heart disease and type 2 diabetes. And stress can cause us to have low self-esteem. And it can even cause us to have lower brain functioning. When we have money and bills to pay and we're not sure about it, it can cause us not to be able to remember things or even be able to pro problem solve as well. In addition to money causing stress, it's actually the second leading cause to divorce is money issues in a marriage. So because money causes so much stress, it causes divorce. Can we just take a second and admit that maybe our culture might not have the best view of how we should use our money? That if we want to follow culture and follow the popular trends of how to use our money, that most likely it's going to come to a place where we're feeling stressed and it's going to cause division between us and those we love. Thankfully for us, that, that the way that culture views money is not the only way to actually use money. Because Jesus had a lot to say about money and he wants to invite us to use our money so that it can be a source of joy, of life, and of meaning. And when we listen to him, we don't have to feel the anxiety and frustration and stress of money. But we can experience good things from our money. But the way to do that is actually going to have to eliminate some of the lies that we can too often buy into. Now, the first lie is about how we actually use our money and how, how, what our money has to offer. 
uh, commercials tell us a lot about what we can do when we, have pro when we buy their products. For this week, I want to invite you to play a little bit of a game. When you watch a commercial, say, okay, what lie is this commercial telling me? For instance, a lie that comes up often is if you buy this kind of beer, you're going to have a lot of friends and you're going to be able to hang out with them and have a lot of fun with them. Or maybe if you buy this car, you're going to be able to go on long vacations and drive through the desert and drive up mountainsides and have all this free time because you buy our car. It, here's a, a little bit of a, a, an implied lie in so many commercials of, of what m money can offer us, what these possessions can offer us. We believe them so much that it becomes fundamental to how we live. Jean Baudrillard actually has said that the dominant religion in our Western culture is not atheism, it's materialism. That, that possessions and money drive us so much that that is our fundamental belief system here, that that's where we can find life, that that's where we can find meaning, and we put our hope and trust in them. Now, no one would probably say, or at least most people wouldn't say that materialism is their religion, but our belief system, our meaning, is shown by the way we act and the way we think. And the way we act is, is by often buying so many things and, and by desiring so many things and by thinking about what's next for us, the, the newest phone or the newest uh, car or the, a better house or a vacation home or a boat or even another subscription to another streaming service. All these things that we're buying into that they are going to give us meaning. They're going to give us life. Jesus had some other thoughts. He said in Luke 12, 15, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. This is pretty different from the way culture views things. Maybe some of you should actually write this verse on your credit card to remind yourself that life does not consist in the abundance of things. Jesus doesn't want materialism and, and him to come side by side so that maybe you, you worship him on Sundays and then on Tuesday afternoons or when you get your paycheck, you kind of worship the God of materialism by being excited about buying new things, by finding life in other things. And that leads us to the first lie. The first lie is that we get life from our possessions. Uh, throughout the message, I'm going to invite you to do some gestures with me to, to remind yourselves of these lies throughout, throughout the week that's coming and, and maybe for weeks to come that you'll remind yourself of these lies that culture is telling us. For the first one, I want you to do this at home. Take your hands, open them up, and pull them towards you and say that life, uh, uh, so we get life from our possessions. We shake our head as we do that to show that that's a lie. This is not the message we're hearing on social media ads or, or on uh, commercials that we watch TV. But Jesus is showing us that this is a lie and it's something that we will not get life from. In Matthew 6, 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It solidifies our point that we're looking for life from things. And he says, don't store up these things. Now, I know that this is a lie that we buy into from a very quickly increasing industry, the storage unit industry. We have so much of an abundance of things that we can't even hold them all in our own houses, so we need to rent extra space to hold all of the things that we rarely actually use. 
And the reason that we, and the reason that we have these extra storage units is because we've probably kept buying in to the lie that we need an abundance of things if we're going to find true life and true meaning. Now, if you have a storage unit, it doesn't mean you're sinning or anything like that, but it might mean that you're buying into the lie that life comes from an abundance of things. But Jesus says that our possessions, our things, they all will come to ruin, that moss will destroy them, that we know that our car can get destroyed, that, that we may even get something stolen from us. And when our hope and our life is trying to come from these things, that can leave us devastated. But when we put our hope in something that truly matters, we can have life even when those hardships come, even when things break. We can find life from him. In Ecclesiastes, one of the, uh, one of the, a teacher is telling some of his students the way that they should view their money. So in Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. This verse reminded me of a John Rockefeller quote. John Rockefeller was one of the most rich people in history, billions and billions of dollars if he was alive today. And when somebody asked him, when will you have enough money? He answered, just a little bit more. He never would have enough, just like this verse is talking about, that we'll never have enough money. And it's easy to spot in him, but we too are some of the richest people in history. And yet we still long for more. We still long for the abundance of things. A nicer phone, a newer home, whatever it is, more and more we're longing for these things, but we will not be satisfied by them. We desire money. The word that it, it ta- uses is meaningless. And, and the meaningless verb is actually what's used for like a vapor or a smoke. We can grasp for more and grasp for more and we can, it can be there for a second, but then it's gone. Just like how we desire our things, but again and again, they don't leave us the value that we think that they will. Do a little experiment with you. I want you to think of the last expensive thing that you purchased. Maybe for you expensive is $50, or maybe for you expensive is $5,000, whatever that is. Now, think about how you felt right before you bought that item. The desire and longing and excitement you had to have this item. Maybe you thought about it. Maybe you planned how you were going to use it. Now, how do you feel about that item? Is your desire and longing and excitement still the same as before you got it? This happens in all of us that that we long for things and we think it's going to give us this lasting value of meaning. But soon after, that excitement fades. Because the life it offers is just a vapor and will be gone in an instant. The author of Hebrews also teaches us something similar with money, but where we can actually find the value. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We don't need to have more things. We can be content with what we have because of something very important, because God is with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He is with us. That's why you can see videos of children in Africa who are praising God, even though they don't even know where the next day's food is going to come. But but they can have joy because they've realized that they have Jesus in their lives. And this leads us to the first truth, and that life comes from God alone. 
We do not get life from our possessions, but it comes from God alone. He gives us vigor. He gives us joy. He gives us meaning in what we long for and what we look for in our money, what only he can provide. And Jesus says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is offering us life. He's died and come back to life so that we can have a personal relationship with him. And we don't have to look for life and money or possessions or things. We can go to him. Now, you might be at home thinking, Bobby, I agree. I don't actually buy that much stuff. I don't look for an abundance of things. And, and that may be true at, most of the time. Uh, sometimes you may be drawn to things. And you're thinking, I don't even have any extra cash to spend, or I don't spend uh, uh, frivolously on whatever I want. But money might be a sense of worry for you. Maybe even when we started talking about money, there's some anxiety that built up in you. And maybe you even had a thought of, I'm not going to watch today because I don't really want to hear about how, how I should spend my money. And there's a tension building in you. And that leads us to the second lie, which is we need to care, take care of ourselves and money is the way to do it. That we need to take care of ourselves and money is the way to do it. To remember that, uh, to that lie, I want you to hold your hands together and against your chest and you can shake your head that, that we need to take care of our lives and money's the way to do it. That's the second lie that we believe in our culture. The Bible knows that we often feel uh, anxiety and worry when we talk about money. So that's when throughout the New Testament, you, almost every time that it talks about money, soon after there's a passage that talks about uh, worry and how we should, how we should view uh, money. For instance, earlier we, talked, uh, we read Matthew 6, 19 that said, don't store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Uh, after this passage, it gets to verse 25, which says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Jesus is saying, you don't store up treasures and don't worry. Do not worry. He actually says this as a command and he's adamant about it. Now, this isn't a command like, do not murder. You can think of it as a command like a father saying to his son that you don't have to be afraid. Jesus, God is telling us, you don't have to be worried about your money. You may think this is kind of negligent. Like if I'm not worrying about money, who is? Like I need to make sure that I'm going to have enough for tomorrow. Like what's going to happen to me? So I need to make sure I need to worry about what is going to happen. He answers that question uh, in the following verses. It says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you be by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? We don't have to worry because God will care for us. Just as he cares for his whole, cre his whole created order, and he, he cares for us so much more so that we don't have to worry about where we're going to get things like food and clothes. Now, what this doesn't say is you don't have to work because birds work. They have to look for seeds and scrounge and, and fly around to look for the right place, but they just don't worry. And God's inviting us to do that same thing, to not worry and to not worry about some important things. 
He's talking about food and clothes. Those are necessities that we have for life. And Jesus was even saying this to people who are not wealthy like we are, and, and we're guaranteed food in so many ways here that these people weren't. They didn't have even some of the programs or the food banks that, that we have in our country, that they would have been legitimately worried about whether they could eat tomorrow. Imagine Jesus preaching this message to children in Africa saying, do not worry about clothes. He's showing us that, that we don't have to worry because God cares so much that he'd even give his own son to die for us. Why would we worry about if he's going to give us enough food to eat or clothes to wear or security for tomorrow? He finishes this section in 31 to 34 saying, So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we don't have to care for ourselves and, and hold on because God cares for us. And that leads us to the second truth, which is that we don't have to worry about money because God is our provider. He provides for us in so many ways maybe through the way that we work and can receive money, maybe through government agencies. But he also provides for us through wisdom, uh, something that I wasn't actually taking advantage of when I was younger. Uh, God, um, and I was spending frivolously and doing whatever I want. Instead, we can have wisdom on how to actually spend our money. Wisdom also includes things like saving for our future or retirement or, or even getting health insurance. And we can use wisdom to do those kinds of things. God also provides for us through the medical system and, and psychologists and psychiatrists and things like that, that, that may be needed at times. He says, do not worry, which doesn't mean that we just need to trust in God and, and don't go through those, those practices that will, can actually help us. Sometimes the way that God wants to provide for us is through counselors, through those who can love us and help us through our anxiety and hurt and stress and medical conditions, that God is inviting us to those things. I'm not a counselor or I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor, so I can't give you any of that kind of advice. But I can give you some spiritual advice as we read from the Bible. That no matter what, that God is our provider and you can trust in him. And he shows that in Philippians 4.19 really clearly when he says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We can trust God. As we trust God with our money, he will show us that he is good and he can be trusted. As Craig said last week, when we trust God with our money, we're finally trusting God. And when we do that, he'll give us a new heart. In 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Our wealth is uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The market may crash or we may get everything stolen from us, our identity stolen, all of our possessions stolen or, or an earthquake comes and destroys it. 
But we know that when we trust God with our money, when we put our hope in him, he will not disappoint us. And he even says in verse 17 that he, that he gives us things for our enjoyment, that having money and possessions isn't a bad thing, that we can use them as long as we have the right heart. That we're putting our hope not in our possessions, but our hope in God as our provider. So we can use our money for something greater, something that will last for eternity. And that's something that's much better than what culture offers us with our money. Because again, the lies that we're told is that we get life from our possessions and that we don't have to worry about money because, or sorry, and that we need to take care of ourselves and money's the way to do it as, as, we, as we grab and we hold on to money. So how are we actually supposed to use our money? You've probably heard this maybe a thousand times, but it's something that Jesus said, uh, and we read it in Acts 20 through 5. It says, the Lord him, Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's better to give than to receive. This is maybe something that you've said before and you've told your kids it, but it's something that's actually true. Not just something to say to try to stop your kids from being super greedy at Christmas time, but something you can actually believe. Now, and when Jesus says this, he's not actually commanding anything. He's not telling us anything. He's just stating how the universe works. And remember, Jesus is the one who created the universe. He knows how it's worked how it works. He knows what's best for us. He cares for us. He provides for us. So if we want to have a happy, fulfilling life, if we want to use our money in a happy, fulfilling way, we may want to stop and listen and say, maybe he's right that it is better to give than to receive. I was reminded of a study I heard a few years ago. And the researchers gave $100 to two different sets of people. And during this activity, they measured the brain waves of both kinds of people. The first set of people, they said, here, take the $100 and spend it on something you want. The second kind of people, they said, okay, now go and spend the money on somebody else. Be generous with it. Both before the exercise and after the exercise, especially after the exercise, the people who were the generous ones were able to experience more joy and life and vitality, even by measuring our brainwaves. This shouldn't surprise us. It's how Jesus said that he's created the universe. We don't have to, to, to spend to get life from our things, and we don't have to hold on to things. We can be generous, and that's the way that we can have life. And that leads us to the third truth, which is our big idea for, for today, and that's generosity brings joy and meaning to our money. That generosity brings joy and meaning to our money. And, and as we do that, we can actually give, give out like this way. This is the gesture we're going to do for this. Now, as we do each gesture, again, I'm going to invite you to do this with me. Think of how your body's actually acting as you do this. So the first one is we grab and we hold. And that's where we get life, but it's not true. The second one is we need to hoard to ourselves because we need to care for ourselves. And then the third one is to give and be generous. Did you notice in your body? That as you did this and as you did this, you get tense and a little bit, maybe even your emotions changed a little bit. You're closed off and you're, you're feeling a little bit more down. But as you do this, you're more open and relaxed. In the same way, when we actually do this with our money, we find more peace, we find more joy, we find more happiness, we find more life. Not when we're holding or grabbing, but when we're giving freely as God has given freely to us. We can experience joy and we can also experience meaning. Because God has given passions and desires on your heart. Things that you care for for other people. 
Maybe it's feeding the hungry or helping a missionary or, or helping people become literate or schools or, or whatever it is that you can use your money for a bigger purpose than just yourself. And you can use it for something that truly has value. Money's not bad. Money's not a, a, an, an evil thing in one way or another. And it's not bad to, to make a lot of money. But as we receive a lot of money from God, as he gives us money, the proper posture is to be able to be giving and generous. And that's where we can find life and life abundantly. In Matthew uh, 6, 19 to 21, we, we read 19 earlier, but I'm going to read up to 21 now. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The market may crash, the, another pandemic may come and our finances could, anything could happen with them. But when we use for God's kingdom, he will develop our heart for him for his goodness, for his love. And so that as, as he offers us himself, we can receive him and receive more than we can imagine. It reminds me of the story of the man who found a treasure in a field. And Jesus tells this parable. And, and as uh, he finds the treasure, what he does is he sells everything he has to buy the field so that he can have that treasure in the field. Now, it's easy to be consumed with the man actually having to sell everything he has but the point of the story is not that he sold everything he has. He's excited about selling everything he has because what he found is worth so much more. Friends, Jesus is worth so much more than what the culture offers. And we know what the culture offers. Jesus offers us peace and life and meaning. He wants what's best for you. And he wants you to experience the most for your money. So, what does this look like? Uh, last week, Craig talked about uh, starting a generosity challenge that, we're gonna, that he mentioned, and I'm going to re-mention this week as well. For the generosity challenge, it's to do three things. It's to do something that's extra, so that means it's unplanned. Uh, something intentional, like think about it, like maybe pray about it, ask God, uh, do something that, that you're intentional about. And then the third one is to be generous. Generous is not just giving something away. Being generous is also something that might actually cost you. It might mean you have to say no to something else so that you can say yes to being generous. There might be some sort of sacrifice, something you sacrifice so that you can be generous. And that's what, that's what we're inviting you to do to, so you can experience God's joy. Now, where you do this is up to you. Uh, it could be a, a ministry you're passionate about. It could be uh, someone you know who's in a difficult spot. Uh, it could be the church. Uh, one area I do want to highlight is that we at our church have a satellite food bank and we have some guests who come each year and each Christmas, what we like to do is provide a Christmas hamper that includes some gifts and a Christmas meal. We'd love to provide these hampers for every one of our guests. So if that may be the way that you want to be generous, I'm going to invite you to, to uh, click the link above so that you can find out more information about what that might look like and how you can provide gifts this Christmas and a Christmas meal to someone who uh, is part of our food bank. God wants what's best for you and what's best for your money. So that maybe one day when you get to heaven, you can hear good things about the way that your money has been used. The way that your money may have fed somebody in Africa. 
the way that you supported a school and a student became a light to his kingdom, to God's kingdom, uh, by either being in vocational ministry or maybe in his workplace. Or maybe uh, you find out that somebody was saved because you support a missionary overseas. God wants you to experience the most for your money. It's not anxiety and hurt and depression and frustration, but God wants you to experience joy, meaning, and purpose with your money. Let's pray. God, I thank you that uh, you have invited us to use, use the, the money that you've entrusted to us for your glory, for your goodness, and that we can experience it with joy. I pray against the lies that culture tells us that we get life from our possessions and that, that we need to take care of ourselves and money's the way to do it. I pray for each of us that you would give us a heart for you and a heart to love the people around us and, to, and the money that, we, that we, uh, you've entrusted with us, that we'd use it to be generous so we can find joy and purpose and meaning with our money. Thank you that you are better than everything. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.